take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 27. I'd like to bring you a friend day message uh, entitled, If If Only He Had a True Friend. If Only He Had a True Friend. Last week I shared with you that Mrs. Bishop and I have been married for 39 years. And I, I describe her as the only girl that never broke my heart. Uh, the only one. The only one. And uh, you think guys don't hurt uh, when uh, tragedies uh, like that strikes. Uh, uh, but I was devastated. Uh, and uh, many, many times. Uh, but Mrs. Bishop has never done that. So... Um, you think about uh, guys, especially uh, guys. Guys don't cry, uh, but if you've ever uh, known a soldier who was on the battlefield and saw death and destruction firsthand, the trauma of um, and, and devastation that a battlefield can bring, uh, you'll know that there are a lot of tears shed on the battlefield. <clears throat> if you've ever known a mom in the home, the battlefield of the home. Uh, with with children and uh, you're trying to get things together and everything seems to fall apart and the tires go flat and the uh, <coughs> kids leave a mess and you walk in the room and the child has just uh, uh, colored all over the walls uh, with a, a magic marker and you just you just sit down and and cry. You, know, you walk into a room that you've you just spent your your day cleaning the house, and the kids come home from school, and with five minutes is a is a disaster zone. Uh, a sports team uh, they invest all of their effort into a game, all emotion, and at the end of the day, when they have lost, uh, it, uh, those emotions come flooding out. I tell people that uh, tears are the relief valve. And you go home to your, you probably don't even know this, you go home to your hot water heater, it has a pressure release valve. And the, the uh, design of that is so when the pressure inside the tank gets great, it kicks that valve and it lets the, lets the pressure go off the side. As opposed to letting the pressure build up and the thing goes kaboom. And every once in a while that valve will fail and you'll hear a story where a house has exploded because... The hot water heater didn't have uh, uh, that that valve, or the valve was malfunctioning, and the hot water heater exploded. It's a it's a pretty catastrophic event, and so tears. God gave us those to be a relief valve, so we didn't explode uh, like like a bomb. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 27, uh, we have a, a fella that he needed a friend. And he didn't have one. Or he didn't think he had one. And things didn't end well. We're in Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in, wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help me to be a blessing uh, to those who have gathered, and may we be, may we be reminded uh, that a friend is a wonderful gift, and to be a friend is is a precious treasure. And may we not miss those around us who are going through a difficult time, miss the opportunity to be a friend, miss the opportunity to help and encourage someone who is like Judas in a desperate strait. Help us not to miss those opportunities to be a friend. We'll praise you for what you do in our hearts this morning. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Judas had a great legacy. He started out well. Uh, he had a calling. Uh, he was one of the twelve. <clears throat> a promising start. Judas, by name, is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Judah. We're familiar with Judah. We typically don't associate that with Judas. Uh, but it means to praise or let God be praised. So here's a guy named Judas in the Greek, Judah in the Hebrew, whose name means let God be praised. And here he is, he is betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, feeling guilt, shame, remorse, and then going out and taking his life. And that's a, that's a, that's a sad end to a promising start. Iscariot uh, comes from the Greek Escarites, or man of Carathoth, that was a city of Philistia. It was a Philistine city. Uh, it was in the southern part of, uh, of uh, uh, Judah, uh, so southern. And the rest, what's unique about that is that Judas came from uh, Judah, uh, the southern part, and the rest of the disciples, all other 11, uh, came from Galilee. He was the only, only one. Outside of that, Israel at that time was being occupied by Rome. Uh, it was a there was fractured fighting. The Samaritans were fighting. The Jews were fighting. Uh, the Pharisees were fighting. The Sadducees were fighting. You see that uh, evidence throughout the New Testament. Israel, like today at that time, was a place of political unrest. You're following what's going on in Israel. Uh, that uh, that's not anything new. Uh, rebellion, oppression. Uh, it was, at this time, a volatile place to live, uh, as it is today. And so, uh, here, here's Judah. He's one of the twelve, Judas. And he is following the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, was, he was called, and he is close. Now, he's not as close as John. Uh, Peter, James, and John were pretty familiar with those. But he was close enough that they chose him to be the money man. He was the treasurer. He kept the money, kept the bag. And I'll just say that the treasurer has a special relationship with the leader that no one else has. And Mr. Frank is our treasurer here. 
And uh, Mr. Frank and I have a special relationship. I probably call uh, Mr. Frank more than I do any other person. I don't know if, uh, I, if I am called by Mr. Frank uh, more than any other person that he has. But uh, typically every Sunday night uh, after church, my phone will ring and Frank will have a financial question. And from time to time, we'll have a business meeting and I'll have a financial question and I'll call Frank. Uh, when it comes time to do the annual report, I sit down with Frank and we go over the numbers and we uh, figure out what things are and what questions are going to fall. And we go over that uh, line by line. Uh, Mr. Frank will tell you, painful hours and hours and hours uh, that, that we spend uh, pouring over those numbers. So Mr. Frank and I have a special relationship just by nature of uh, I'm the leader and uh, he's, he's, the, he's the money guy. And so Jesus would have had that special relationship with Judas as well. How are things going? You need any money? What's going on? We have, you know, uh, they would they have they would have talked. It's called a leadership called overseeing. <clears throat> Turn with me to uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter twelve. In the Gospel of John, chapter twelve. Uh, Judas is going to address a. Uh, uh, something that is going on, and we're going to start at verse 1, and it has to do with money. <clears throat> and Jesus, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, uh, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now that's significant because in a few moments uh, you're going to see where they came not necessarily to hear Jesus. They came to see Lazarus. Because this guy had been dead. He'd been in the grave for three days. And, and he's a curiosity. Uh, people want to know, what did you see? Where did you, what did you feel? What was it like? Uh, tell, us, tell us about it. People have uh, a desire to, to know those types of things. Verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. Now, this name that means praise, or let God be praised, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, that would seem to be a man that is in charge of the money that is saying, this is not a good use of resources. That's what it seemed. But the next verse tells us, verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. And then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised uh, from the dead. Uh, so here is Judas, and he is not only interested in being, being the keeper of the bag and being a disciple, uh, but uh, he is, uh, he's got a little criminal enterprise going on here. In our day and age, we call that embezzlement. Uh, taking company funds and putting them uh, to your own personal gain. <clears throat> uh, he had higher aspirations. He did not just want to be a disciple or the keeper of a bag 
uh, for uh, the local the local group. Uh, he had designs for Christ to be the one that would deliver the Jewish people from the tyranny of Rome. And so he looked to Jesus as the next big ruler on the world stage. And so he's thinking, okay, so I got this group and I've got the bag and so I've got this money. But when he overthrows Rome and he's the top dog, then all, all of the money, all the government money is going to come through me. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to buy a new house. I'm going to get a new chariot. Uh, all these things. My, his, his day is coming and he's looking for that. <clears throat> so he, it's all about profit. It's not about service. It's all about profit. And that's okay, uh, having a profit-oriented focus. I mean, if you're a businessman, you've got to make a profit in order to pay the employees, in order to live. I understand that. But his crossed a line where it wasn't about people, wasn't about Christ, wasn't about the disciples, wasn't about the poor. It was about enriching himself. And I say that because... This is going to come back to haunt him. His world is going to come crashing down. And in the end, he needed a friend. He needed somebody that he could talk to. But he, but he didn't have that. <clears throat> Judas, at this point, is looking for a political solution to what is going on in Israel. Uh, he's looking for, again, a world ruler and the prophet uh, that is associated with that. But one thing he did not have he did not have hope, did not have hope in God, didn't have salvation. He didn't have Jesus Christ. And in the end, Matthew 27, he flipped. And you can sit here and say, that would never happen to you. And that would never happen to someone that you know. But last weekend, last Sunday, Alaskan Airlines Flight 2059, Horizon Air, operating from Everett, Washington to San Francisco, California. It's an off-duty Alaskan Airlines pilot who was in the flight deck jump seat. I talked to a pilot this week, a United pilot, and he described for me how that seat is how that is in the cabin. He said, You've got the pilot seat and you got the co-pilot seat and in between that is the jump seat and so literally and you're sitting here and the knees of the guy in the jump seat is literally right here and that that fellow that pilot was on his way uh he uh, to his the place where he would pick up his next flight and fly back and it's not unusual uh for he's authorized to be he was in the cockpit He's authorized to be in there. Uh, you would not, but he, he would. And <clears throat> his name is Joseph David Emerson, 44, 44 years of age. And in flight of, of the Embraer uh, E-175 regional jet at cruise altitude, uh, he at 6.25 p.m. last Sunday, uh, he got up and uh, tried to engage the fire suppression system. So I said to the um, United pilot, I said, well, what does that do? He said, that, that, just, doesn't, that just doesn't shoot uh, uh, a flame retardant into the engine. He said, it shuts everything down. I mean, it shuts down uh, the electric, and it shuts down the engines, and it shuts down the hydraulic 
There ain't nothing working. I said, what would you do? He said, I'll tell you what. Uh, since that's happened last Sunday, he said, I've gone through my mind what, what I would do, what I would do, how I would react if I was the pilot in an airplane. And he said, well, he said, there's, there's a checklist that you got to go through to, to get things clear and get them back up and running. He said, but we got to threaten the cabin. He said, so I'm thinking the first thing I'd do is I'd put my big foot on the console. I didn't care what got wrecked. And I'd be taking out the bad guy. I'd be beating him to a pulp. And then uh, trying to figure out how to get the plane back in the air. And I said, Would, do you think you'd be successful? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. Desperate. What, what did that guy do? Uh, he flipped. I said, what would cause This is an airline pilot. We get in an airplane, we expect the pilot's going to be top dog, ready to go, squared away. And this guy's trying to crash a plane. What, what in the world's going on? And so this is what the United Pilot told me. He said, we have to go through evaluations. He said, at my age, he said, I have to go through a physical evaluation two times a year in order to keep my flight status. He said, if, if you want to lose your flight status, you just mention that you need some mental health. You, you, you've got to disclose every doctor's appointment you've been to every medical profession you were. And he said, and, and if you're in that, and you mention, oh, oh, by the way, I went to see a counselor. He said, your career is over. You're done. He said, so as a result, pilots don't seek the help that they need because they're going to be taken out of the cockpit. They will not fly again, ever. They'll lose, they'll lose their job. And so they hide it. Well, that doesn't make me feel better about flying. Make me want to drive to my next uh, business event, right? <clears throat> what, what, what does that mean? That means that Mr. Joseph David Emerson, 44 years of age, young man, by my standards, not by Mary Joy's standard, but by my standards, <clears throat> a young guy uh, flipped. What did he need? He, he needed a friend friend to say, hey, that's destructive behavior. A friend to see what the doctors aren't going to see. And that's, hey, you, you need to talk to somebody. You need some help. But, but he didn't have that. Judas didn't have that. It almost ended in tragedy. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. <clears throat> This is going on. Jesus has whispered to Judas, and he has said, what thou doest, do quickly. Remember, they were all in this, and Christ said, hey, one of you is going to betray me this night. And every one of the disciples, everyone said, is it I, is it I, is it I? And when Judas reached in, Jesus leaned forward and said to him, what thou doest, do quickly. And Judas left that place, and nobody stopped him. Nobody said, hey, Judas, where are you going? Hey, oh, what, what's going on? Oh. No, nobody stopped them. Nobody engaged them in dialogue. But in verse 14, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, praise, name means praise, let God be praised, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. 
And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Promising start. Treasure, he's close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Followed him, assisted him. Made a profession of faith. Because at some point he was baptized. Some believe he was baptized by Jesus Christ himself. But he didn't have it on the inside. He talked to Jesus. People say, I talk to Jesus every day. Judas talked to Jesus every day. In person, live, in real time. There was no one as close and as watched as the money man. But in the end, he did not have Christ. People say, uh, and people teach from this passage, that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Dying without Christ is a sin for which there is no solution. It's not the act. That sent Judas to a place called hell. It was the fact that he did not have Christ. And praying and being baptized even by the Lord Jesus Christ is not sufficient to take you to heaven. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that you've been born again? Do you, are you a friend? Do you know someone that you're just not certain about? Can you go to them and say, are, are you, you, you need Christ. We talk about cancer and sickness and disease and the war in the Middle East. And people are fearful today. But to be able to say to someone, do you, all this stuff going on, but do you know Christ? So somebody say to Judas, Judas, tell me, tell me again how you came to know Christ. And Judas would have had to say, well, come on, fellas, you were there when I got baptized. But for a Christian to say, Judas, baptism doesn't take you to heaven. But I was baptized by Jesus. Judas, it doesn't matter who you were baptized by. Come on, fellas, I do good works. When the 5,000 were being fed, I was right there with you passing out the baskets. Somebody who knows enough about the Bible and salvation to say to Judas, whose name means let God be praised, Judas, it's not about works. That you're not saved by feeding 5,000 people. You're, you're, how are we saying? By pay, placing your faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for a friend to say, do you know Christ? And so I, I said to the airline pilot, do you know Christ? Because airline pilots are thinking about, what would I do when I'm up in the air and somebody tries to crash my plane? Oh, and Do you know an airline pilot that you can, you can be a friend to and say, do you know Christ? If that plane came crashing down, would you, would you go to heaven? That's what friends do. They engage. What did Judas, Judas need? He needed a friend. To say, but in chapter 27, 
Judas went to his benefactors. In verse 4 of chapter 27, he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. But his benefactors were not his friend. A benefactor can be a friend. But they were not his friend. Because a true friend would have said, Judas, you've got a sin problem. Sin is a problem. Salvation is the solution. So that's what I said to my, uh, to my pilot uh, that on, on Wednesday. It would have been Wednesday of this week. I said, sin is a problem. Salvation is the solution. You have a sin problem. Christ paid the penalty on Calvary's cross. And I can introduce you to Christ if you'll let me. That's what a friend does. But instead, they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. What a, what a callous response. And, and so I, I'm thinking, this is friend day. I want to be a friend. I want to be a help. When somebody comes to me with a need, is, is that my response? Hey, that's your problem, bud. That's not my problem. Deal with it. Which is what they said. That's not what Judas needed. He needed a friend. And a friend is not going to do that. A true friend is going to point him to Christ. Sadly, in the text, nowhere will you see that he went to talk to any of the other disciples. And that that frightens me. That I would have a friend who is on the verge of taking his life. And he would feel like he could not come and talk to me. Like I am unapproachable. That, that, that scares me. So, I'm, when I deal with ministry stuff, and I talk to people and encourage people, and, and people that are away from the Lord, I try to let them know, listen, when, when you, you... You can go down this road. This is not a good road to go down, but at the end of the day, when you realize that the bridge is out, I want you to know, I will always be your friend. You can call me, and I'm not going to say, man, you shouldn't have done that. You're getting what you deserve. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to help you put the pieces back together, because that's what a true friend does. And that is probably the most repeated phrase in my ministry over the last uh, 20-some years, is to say to people, I will always be your friend. Many, many times when I write a little note card, and I'm writing to someone that I I haven't seen in a while, or that has moved away, or a pastor friend, another town, I'll sign it always, and I'll underline it, always your friend. People need a friend. We need friendship, but we need to be that friend to others as well. The devil's tool, and he he did it so successfully in Judas's life, he isolated him. On one side, Satan says, do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it. And then when you've done it, Satan goes, how could you have done such a thing? And you call yourself a Christian. And so here he is to Judas. And we know Satan moved him from the text. And he went out and he engaged the chief priest. And now he's looking for opportunity. And he found that opportunity in the garden. And he led the people. And he walked up to Christ. And he gave him that kiss in the darkness saying to everybody, this is the guy right here. That's how I'm going to mark him. I'm going to mark him with a kiss. And they took Jesus. And they put him on trial. And they're going to crucify him. And again, chapter 27, when Judas saw 
that he had betrayed the innocent blood. He was grief-stricken and going to his benefactors. But his true friends, which should have been the disciples, were not approachable. Are you approachable? Or are you critical? Are you approachable? Or are you cynical? Are you approachable? Or are you aloof? Can't be bothered. So Satan isolated Judas. And, and how, what does that feel like? feels like you're the only one. You're the only one that's ever had a loss of a loved one, a loss of a child, a breakdown with a car, things break down at home. Why does this always happen to me? Uh, Satan's isolating you. Beware, because he can isolate you. He can get you to do some things that you would never do in your wildest imagination. I think if you would have said to Judas, Judas, you see yourself killing yourself Sunday? (laughs) Seriously? Oh, no, man, I'm on top of the world. I am the treasure for the disciples. And things are good. Things are good. I'm good. But things weren't good. They were not. Satan isolates. John was living on the West Coast. He grew up in the Midwest. He was dating a girl. Her birthday was the next weekend. They were celebrating it on Monday. On Thursday of that week, her birthday on Monday, and they were, um, and they, they had plans for that next week. But on Thursday, his grandmother got sick. He got a phone call. And again, he lived in the Midwest. He's living on the West Coast. And the phone call came in and said, uh, John, uh, your, your grandmother is, is probably not going to live through the day. And so he said to his girlfriend, hey, my, uh, uh, my grandmother is dying and I'm going to catch a flight. Uh, to see if I can get there before she dies. And so he did. Got on a plane, and he flew to the Midwest. He got off the plane, got away from the airport, got to home uh, where, where Grandma was, and he's uh, by her bedside. And uh, about two hours later, after he had arrived and had a last conversation with her, she passed away. That had been on Thursday. <clears throat> so on Friday, they started making funeral plans. If you've ever planned a funeral, you know it just doesn't happen the next day. <clears throat> And so they planned the funeral for Monday, which was his girlfriend's birthday. And they asked him if he would give the eulogy because his, he and his grandma were really close. And he said that he would. And so he called his girlfriend and he said, hey, uh, the uh, grandma passed away. The funeral is Monday. And so I'm not going to be able uh, I, and I'm going to give the eulogy. And the, this is what the girlfriend said. Uh, does this affect my birthday party plans? And he said, well, well yeah, kind of, you know. Uh, my grandma died, and the funeral is on Monday. I'm giving the eulogy. It'll be late Monday afternoon, the first flight out. I'll take the first flight out Tuesday morning. And uh, she said, whatever. And she hung up on him. And so uh, Tuesday... Uh, the funeral goes through. Tuesday, he gets on the plane and he flies from the Midwest back to the West Coast. And she, his girlfriend picked him up from the airport. And, but she said nothing. He said, boy, uh, he said the trip home from the airport was as cold, uh, just cold. Uh, she had nothing, nothing to say to me because I had missed her birthday on, on Monday. And he thought, you know what? Uh, this is over. He said, but 
uh, he loved her. You know, he was absolutely head over heels in love with this gal. And, uh, and, and this went on for two weeks uh, following the death of his grandmother. And then two weeks later, it was his birthday. And his girlfriend called him up and said, hey, I'm going to take you out to your favorite restaurant on your birthday. And he said, Whew, wow, <laughs> well, that's good. That's promising. This is going to be good. And so uh, at the, uh, the appointed time, he went to his favorite restaurant. He went inside and uh, she was not there. And so he waited and waited and waited. And finally, 45 minutes later, she texted him a picture of herself with her girlfriends. And they were at a concert across town. And this is what she said. How does it feel to be stood up on your birthday? And he said, at that moment, I knew that it, that it was over. He said, I, I took every, every memento that I had from her and I gathered it up that night and I took it over to her house and I laid it on the front step. He said, I went home and I, and I blocked her uh, phone number. I blocked her uh, email. I blocked her on social media. I just knew uh, this, is, this, is, this is going nowhere. He said, I was absolutely devastated. Can you see a friend going through that kind of a scenario and say, you know what, that, that guy probably needs a friend. But also, can you see the girl? Uh, she's going to be devastated when she comes home and finds those things on her step. And can you say, you know what, uh, she really needs a friend. It's tough. There are hurting people. That's why we host Friend Day every year. Because people need a friend. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> How did this end? Uh, for Judas. Acts chapter 1 uh, tells us how it ended. <clears throat> We're in verse 15, the Gospel of Acts, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were at about 120, having a business meeting. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. Let God be praised, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he would numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. So here, here's Judas. Acts chapter 1 tells us how it ended. How he decided to die. He hangs a rope around his neck. He ties it to a tree. He jumps off. The tree breaks, he lands down in the ravine, and his bowels gush out. It's not a, it's not a pretty picture. Some, somebody should have said, Judas, where, where are you going with the rope, buddy? One of the disciples that knew that he was in the garden betrayed Christ with a kiss should have gone up to him, Judas, what's going on? What's going on, man? Just, just have a, a conversation. But nobody did. He approached his benefactors, not his friends. They weren't approachable, or he didn't think they were. And he went and took his life. And now we're in Acts chapter 1, we're 50 days later, and the guys are having a business meeting saying, you know, there's supposed to be 12 of these guys, and Judas obviously was, uh, had disqualified himself, and we need to come up with another name to stick in here, uh, so that we can have tw continue to have 12. He went to his place, which wasn't, wasn't heaven, not because he took his life, not because he 
betrayed Christ. But because he didn't have salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, and so much as the field is called in their proper tongue, al which is to say the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, 69 verse 25, Let his habitation be desolate, and no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. The little boy put on his cold, his clothes for the cold. They were having friend day at church. And he said to his dad, it's Saturday night, he said, Dad, tomorrow's friend day. We've got a few more flyers. <laughs> his dad said, son, we are not going out there and distributing flyers. His dad was the pastor of all things. He said, dad, son, we're not doing it. It's Saturday night. Uh, it's, it's over. Let's just, you know, let's just get on with it. And he says, it's raining out. It's, uh, it's, it's getting dark and it's raining. And it's not, I'm, I'm preparing my Bible study for tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going out. And the dad said he wouldn't go. And the son, 11 years of age, said, Dad, dad let me go. Let, let me go. I'm going by myself. And so dad said, okay. You can go. And so he got his flyers together and he ran outside. He was just so excited because it's friend day at church tomorrow. And so he uh, went, uh, he, he looked and there was a house next door and the lights were on. And he said, oh, but there were people in the street. And it's typical 11 year old. He's bouncing off the walls. And so he runs down the streets and he sees the first person and he hands him a friend day flyer. And then he goes down uh, across the street, see, saw somebody over there and he gave out another one. And he had given out all that he had, but he had just one left, just one. And so he, he looked up the street and there was no one there. And he looked down the street and no one was there. And he looked across the street and nobody was there. And he thought, man, I hate to go home with one flyer. And then he looked at that first house that he saw that he had seen with the lights on. And he said, well, I'm going to I'm going to go to that house. He didn't know who was there. And so he went up to the house and he knocked on the door. And nobody came. And he rang the doorbell. And you could hear it ringing. And nobody came. And the lights were on inside. He knew somebody had to be there. And so he knocked and rang and knocked and rang. And nobody came to the door. And so he kind of shrugged his shoulders and took his flyer and started to walk away. And he got halfway down the steps. He thought, you know what? I'm going to give it one more try. So he went up to the door again and he banged on that door like there was no tomorrow. And finally, someone answered the door. It was an old lady. And she said, what can I do for you, son? And this is what he said, quote, lady, I'm sorry. Typical 11 year old lady, I'm sorry if I upset you, but I just want to tell you that God really loves you and that I came to give you my last flyer, which talks about God and his great love. And the boy gave her the flyer and walked away. Sunday morning, friend day, at church. The pastor was introducing friends. And there was one lady, she sat in the back, all by herself. And he didn't recognize her, he knew that somebody had brought her, but nobody had claimed her. And so he said, man, how did you come to come to church today? And she said, several months ago I lost my husband. And I lost a purpose for living. And I decided last night, Saturday night, that I was going to take my life. 
And she said, so I walked up the stairs to the attic, and I got a chair, and I tied a rope around my neck, and I was ready to jump off. And somebody knocked at the door. And they kept knocking. An annoying, loud knock. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to wait till they go away. And she said, so I stood there, waiting for the knocking and the ringing to stop. And it did for a second. And then it started up again. And I thought, who in the world is, nobody knocks on my door. She said, so I got down, I, I took the rope off my neck, I got down off the chair, I walked downstairs, I walked to the front door, and outside was the most angelic young man I had ever seen in my entire life. And I said to him, what can I do for you this evening, young man? And he said to me, lady, I got this flyer and God loves you and wants you, wants you, to, wants you to know Christ. And he walked away. She said, I walked back inside and I sat down on the couch and I read that little piece of paper. She said, and I trusted Jesus Christ as best I knew how. And I went up to the attic. And I got the rope down and put it away, and I put the chair away, and I came to church this morning to say to that young man, you saved my life. You saved my life. And that's why we have Friend Day every year. Because there are people going through a difficult time. People that you know, some that you don't know. But when God presses on your part, uh, impresses upon your heart to reach out to somebody, to knock on a door, to pass out a gospel tract, to say to someone, are, are, are you okay? And not just take, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, for an answer. But to say to them, I'm your friend. And sin is a problem. But salvation is the solution. To be able to look at Judas and say, Judas, you betrayed Christ. But there is hope. There is hope for salvation. There is hope for forgiveness. I love the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ painted of himself, painted of God, as when the son, the prodigal son, had wasted his life on riotous living and came to himself and said, I'll go to my father and be one of his servants. The father, watching a long ways off, saw the child coming and ran to meet him. And that's how God describes himself towards us. Not as the God will turn you back and say, listen, you've sinned. Don't bother coming back to me. That's not how God describes himself. He describes himself as a father that is watching for the child to return and runs. And when he sees him a long ways off and gathers him around and puts the robe and the ring of authority on his finger and cries, my son, which was lost, is found. Come home again. And if God can paint that picture of himself, certainly we should strive to live in the light of that friendship as well. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Everybody needs a friend. They need Jesus. The pilot, not whose plane was about crash, but the, every other pilot who was thinking, what would I do for that fella? Or that gal who has just suffered a broken relationship. Or the treasurer who just got arrested for embezzlement. Or that lonely lady 
who is all by herself. That person who is sick. That person who is in deep, deep depression. And they just need a friend. A text message. A phone call. Say, preacher, I'm here. I'm a Christian. I know Christ is my Savior. And I want to accept the challenge to be a better friend to others. Would you pray for me that God would give me the discernment to be a good friend to others who are in need? Yes, praise the Lord. Good. Amen. Wonderful. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Christians. They know you as their Savior. They're on their way to heaven. But Father, we can get busy and be non-approachable, but we don't want to be that way. Pray that you'd help us to be like you, looking a long ways off and seeing those who are in need and maybe even taking a step in the right direction and encourage them and help them and let them know that God has forgiven us and God will forgive them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Say, preacher, I'm here. I am not a Christian. Will you pray for me? And I'll, and I'll pray for you. I want to introduce you to my friend. His name is Jesus. There's not a sin that you've committed or thought about committing that he can't and won't forgive if you just come to him. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not saved. Lift your hand up. Hold it up for just a moment. Pray for me. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano playing. The altar is open. If somebody you want to pray for, a friend that needs prayer, altar is a great place to do that. You obey as God speaks to your heart this morning.